0: Hi, this is Steve Madden, I'm here in Toronto at the offices of CLICK Health with Guy Kawasaki. Guy, it's a real, it's a real pleasure to meet thank you.
1: you. Thank you, thank you. Pleasure's mine.
0: So, um, Guy is here in, uh, at the, the offices of CLICK talking, uh, giving a, a town hall presentation um, as a part of the series that CLICK runs, um, and I'm, I'm wondering, you know, you're scheduled to talk in about an hour or yes. so. Um, what uh, What are you planning to talk about?
1: Uh, the talk is based on a book called Wise Guy. And Wise Guy is a collection of stories that ref- formed my life. Uh, if you're familiar with Chicken Soup for the Soul, this is Guy's version. Chicken Soup for the Soul is outside contributors. This is purely Guy. Um, I tried to name the book Miso Soup for the Soul, but <laughs> that didn't go very well with the publishers. Put, putting a Hawaiian spin on <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So it's a collection of these stories. Starting from Hawaii till uh, a year ago, mm-hmm. um, that all have lessons, all have
0: some wisdom in it. Great. Um, I'm glad you brought up Hawaii because yeah. um, you're uh, a, as part of uh, part of what I saw in the book. The jacket, yeah. um, the jacket photo is a picture of you surfing, surfing yes. and you've learned to surf in your sixties.
1: Yes, it, it, I don't advise that. I mean, that's not optimal. I started surfing when sixty-one or sixty-two. I'm sixty-five now, and uh, I gave up hockey to take up surfing. I loved hockey, but I love surfing even more. And uh, there's some lessons there. So one lesson is that learning is a lifelong process. It's not like you know you learn your sports in your youth or you graduate from college and learning is done. Um, arguably, learning begins. <laughs> when you leave college. So that's a lesson. Um, another lesson in parenting is that I think many parents make their kids do what they do. So if you're a piano player, you make your kids take piano. If you're a hockey player, you make your kids play hockey. If you're tennis, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I didn't do that. So my kids fell in love with hockey. My wife told me to be active in their lives and play hockey too. And then my daughter took up surfing. I did not want her to be, you know, like emotionally crippled by me not taking up surfing after I took up hockey for my son, so I took up surfing. That's it. I have one son who wingsuits, and, and I draw the line there. <laughs>
0: I'm, you like know, the squirrel, the flying squirrel. The flying squirrel. Yeah,
1: oh. yeah. So I want to look good when I die. So I drew the line there, and if that scars him, <laughs> so be it. <laughs> What's your favorite surf spot? Uh, well, I live. I have a house in Santa Cruz, and I haven't surfed all over the world. You know how you see these YouTube and they're like going to Tahiti and they're going all over. I haven't done that, but I've been to a lot of places, and I will tell you that there's a one or two mile stretch near my house that has a break for longboard, shortboard, advanced, intermediate, beginner. It's hard to beat that on a consistent basis. On any given day, yeah, I'm sure Tahiti is amazing. Mm-hmm. But you fly to Tahiti, you're not sure if you take your board or rent a board there, you get to Tahiti, and you know, your window in Tahiti is five days, right? And if the surf is not good for five days, tough luck. If you live in Santa Cruz, there's always something, so.
0: Well I don't know what you're doing after your visit to Toronto, but it's pumping on the East Coast right now. Yeah, because a hurricane? I live, I live in New Jersey and there's a hurricane offshore. And, there are actual barrels at, on the Jersey Shore. That's not
1: necessarily what I want. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah,
0: so if you're not if you're going to New York, you might want to bring okay. a board with
1: me. Um, <laughs> me and, and Ariana Huffington, maybe we can go serve yeah. Man, yeah.
0: Um, So, I want to talk a little bit about uh, about creativity and evangelism. I okay. Mean, sort of, you you've made your bones uh, as as mm-hmm. uh, as an evangelist. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like you to talk a little bit, if you would, about the, the, the state of evangelism Yeah. right now.
1: Well, first there was Jesus, and then <laughs> there was a 2,000-year gap, and then there were evangelists at Apple. Um, evangelism comes from a Greek word meaning bring the good news. So what evangelists does is bring the good news. I brought the good news of Macintosh, making people more creative and productive. Today I'm chief evangelist of Canva. I bring the good news of Canva, how Canva has democratized design, so anybody can create great design without buying or renting Photoshop and spending a year learning Photoshop. So that's what an evangelist does. Uh, It's particularly well suited to a product that is great. Um, It's hard to evangelize crap. Uh, I call this guy's golden touch. So guy's golden touch is not that whatever I touch turns to gold. Guy's golden touch is whatever's gold guy touches. (laughs) And so Macintosh is gold, Canva is gold, it's easy to evangelize gold. It's hard to evangelize Mm -hmm. crap. So uh, I would say that uh, Apple truly was the first company that used the term or even the skill set evangelism in a secular sense. Uh, It has subsequently been adopted by many companies. If uh, If you went to Indeed and typed in evangelists, You'll find some churches (laughs) recruiting evangelists, but you'll also find many companies recruiting evangelists. And the concept is there that, you know, the company has good news. The company wants not simply customers, but believers. Um, It's particularly good for something where it's a platform. So you get people to believe in a platform and then do something with that platform. So you evangelize Macintosh. They love Macintosh you write Mac software uh, as opposed to simply, you know, Here's twenty bucks. Give me a copy of your whatever, and it's done. Um, so, yeah, Another. If you are, if you are Amazon, you would have evangelists for people to create skills for your devices, as opposed to you know schlepping books. Mm-hmm. Um, so an Alexa evangelist would convince people to write. Alexa skills
0: and how how do you think the role of an evangelist has changed since the early 80s
1: Uh, I don't think it's changed that much I mean it is fundamentally getting people to believe in something as much as you do selling your dream um, you know carrying the battle forward for you certainly the the development of social media and tech in general, I think has made evangelism easier, because in 1983, I had a car, I had a copper-based phone, sometimes people had a fax machine, and an airplane ticket, and today you can, you know, you can do so much more with, whether it's Zoom or Skype or uh, Udemy courses or, you know, anything like that it's it's much more digital much more extensible is it uh, is it harder to control the message uh, well i I don't think it's it may be I don't think it's any harder to control the message I think it may be harder to control the reaction so uh, you know you 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 just don't know what's going to happen on the internet or on Twitter when you go-to-market mm-hmm. you had more control maybe because things were slower back then uh, if you use a book analogy you know there's the concept of the product life cycle adoption right so the you take a product you introduce it the pioneers which are the real nutcases, they try anything then there's the early adopters who will try almost anything and then there's you know sort of now you're getting to the middle of the curve and now there's you know, the the less risk-averse people who try something new. And finally, you get to Main Street where everybody uses it, right? So so that was the theory that the pioneers influenced the early adopters, the early adopters influenced the next level adopters, the next level adopters took it to Main Street. It's kind of a Jeffrey Moore crossing the chasm theory. Uh, I, I would say that that is vastly compressed. And so in books, for example, there was a time, a long time ago, where you didn't read a book until the New York Times Book Review said this is a great novel, or Washington Post, or Publishers Weekly, or you know something said I reviewed the book, you should book, or you should read it. Well, today you announce a book at Monday midnight, Tuesday morning you wake up and there's fifty five star reviews, or there are fifty one star reviews. Um, not all of them are verified purchases. Many of them are, you know, Trixie 15 and bad boy from the Bronx 25, and you don't know who the hell they are. Certainly, they're not the New York Times book review or book reviewer, and yet you look at that and you say, oh, this new book is averaging two and a half stars, I'm not going to buy it, or it's averaging five stars, one click, it's in your basket. Uh, I think that's how the world works today, so... I don't think I think there's much less reliance on the so-called experts, the the New York Times book review, and it's more well, how many stars does it have on Amazon, and that has major ramifications in marketing. Can you can you expound on that a little bit? Well, the
0: ramifications. Well, the major
1: ramifications of marketing, again using the book analogy, is listen. Don't get me wrong. New York Times reviews your book and likes it. That is a good thing but I don't think it necessarily can make or break your book anymore. If somebody said to me, you could have a New York Times book review, good book review, or you could have 75 reviews on Amazon that come out to four and a half stars, I would take the latter. Mm -hmm. And that has major ramifications that, in the old world you'd have a book, you'd hire a PR firm, they would suck up to the New York Times, Washington Post, you know, all all the book reviewers, then you pray Uh, in this world you might still do that but in this world uh, it's arguably more important to get your fans and whatever to immediately read and buy the book and rate it because you want to and I'm not saying I'm not saying you're gaming the system I'm not saying you're faking your identity and getting fake five star reviews I'm saying Mm -hmm. you know, what I do is there are probably four or five hundred people who read my book prior to it going for sale. And so the night of at midnight when it's gonna go live, I ask my five hundred reviewers to you know, in four hours, please go review my book. And I can wake up the next morning and there'll be fifty, four or five star reviews. Is that cheating? I don't think so because A they really did read the book. And B, I didn't tell them what to say. And C, um, it's not like I have 50 identities <laughs> and I'm putting the review. I mean, uh, that's just good marketing. When was your book published? This When was Wise Guy published? Uh, six months ago. So about. how many stars do you have on Amazon? I haven't looked recently. You can check. I, mean, I bet you it's 150, 200. I bet you it's four and a half or five stars. Can you check? Let's see. Let's
0: just blow my theory right now. Some <laughs> someone in our studio is checking now, so we're gonna, yeah. smoke, we're, gonna we're gonna smoke test this right now. Um, 140, and 140 reviews, the, and what five star? One hundred and forty reviews and five stars. That's great. I rest my case. Yeah. Um, how? Uh, what about influencers? You know, influencers yeah.
1: on, on, on social media. <sighs> well, first of all, some people would claim that I'm an influencer. Um, if you added up all my numbers, I think it's six, seven, eight million. Uh, yeah, I'd say that makes you an influencer. But let me tell you something, okay? Listen, I would never tell somebody I'm not an influencer because, <laughs> you know, that's stupid. But I wish I could tell you that I release a book and I tell a total audience of maybe eight million people go buy my book. And bada bing, bada bang, 800,000 go buy the book. Even eighty thousand, but it ain't happening yeah. like that. So maybe if you're Kim Kardashian, you say, "I got a new lipstick." Everybody goes and buys a lipstick. But Guy Kawasaki, cannot tell people, "Go buy the book. Go buy these." I helped this company called Merge4. You now, go buy these socks, or go so buy. Guy, guy
0: is rocking uh, a <laughs> pair of, of ocean blue socks <laughs> with that look to have some sort of uh, camo pattern. Is it Camo or are those? I don't, I don't
1: even know. I just they
0: are very cool. What,
1: whatever. No, it's got fish on fish so anyway keeping with the ocean sea. so I, but they are very cool it's funny right now i'm helping this company and i'm running instagram posts about how oh, i love my socks you know this a promo code we're gonna see but anyway the, the long and the short of it is maybe for kim kardashian maybe for you know the kardashian family and all that maybe for these youtube you know, whatever if they say buy this sock buy this makeup buy this whatever it's like that that's not true for me. I, I don't think it's true for most people, um, so I guess I'm shooting myself in the foot by telling you that influencers may be
0: overrated. But as uh, as a an evangelist, yes. do you do you recommend using influencers?
1: Well, I, I think as long as it is it's not an or condition, right? So if you're saying, "Oh, should I do?" Should I? going back to the book analogy. Should I suck up to the New York Times or should I suck up to business people who could give a great review on Amazon? The answer is not an or; it's an and. And I think at the end, if you have a successful book, you just freaking declare victory. You say, "Well, I knew that it was the influencers who would do it. I knew that the New York Times would launch it. I knew that you know making this speech at South by South would do it." If you're not successful, nobody cares. Right. So. so um, one of the ways that silicon valley works is we throw a lot of stuff up against the wall we go up the wall with our sharpie you know just like donald trump except he's not drawing weather maps we go up through the wall and we paint the bullseye around the what's stuck and we say guess what we hit the bullseye i tell you what it's very easy to hit the bullseye if you draw the bullseye after you see what's stuck in the wall you do it every time that's how silicon valley works mm-hmm. so um, Anyway, we got on this whole thing about, so yeah, influences, would I try it? Yes, would I do it? Yes, can it hurt? No, but it's not as simple as, oh, we'll get Trixie and Biff and Tiffany and we'll get them to use our makeup and, if it were that easy, every product would be successful. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about,
0: uh, about creativity. You were involved with uh, Apple's uh, yes.
1: iconic Think Different campaign. Mm let me tell you my involvement with that campaign okay so this happened just as I was leaving Apple so there's a meeting of all the marketing people this is like 15 of us and the guy who was basically the CMO of, of Apple at the time and Steve Jobs Steve Jobs had not yet returned to Apple but he I think he had already sold next to Apple's. so he was Coming back or in already, right, but he wasn't CEO yet, and there was a person from our ad agency, and uh, he showed the first reels of nothing you don't use reels anymore, but the first we we're the first pers- first people to see, think different. the Einstein, Gandhi, you know Martin Luther King. and we loved it. So at the end of this. The guy from the agency says, "I have two copies of the videos. I'll give one to Guy and one to Steve." And Steve says, "Don't give one to Guy. This is in front of fifteen people." So at that point, what the hell? So I said, "Steve, is it because you don't trust me?" And Steve says, "Yes, I don't trust you." And I said, "You know, Steve, it's okay. I don't trust you either." probably cost me 250 million bucks (laughs) this
0: was was when you were leaving apple
1: no i was still at apple steve was coming in i had kind of made up a decision to go and start a venture capital you know investment bank so obviously if i thought i was going to stay at apple i might not cop that attitude but um i was either one of the Ballsiest moment of my life, or one of the stupidest moments of my life. How did he respond? I, I hope I think he was taken aback that, you know, because not many people would have <laughs> said that to Steve Jobs. Yeah. Uh, you know, having said that, a year or so later, he offered me another job at Apple. Of course, I'm a dumbass. I didn't take that job either. So I quit Apple twice, and I turned down Steve once. That's got to be 250 million bucks right there. So I would not be in Toronto. I'd be in Tahiti right now. I'd be in that barrel in Tahiti, <laughs> saying, "Oh, this is better than Santa Cruz." Yeah. Certain, <laughs> certain too cool.
0: um, so let's talk. Uh, let's talk a little bit, uh, if you would, about um, about creativity. Yes. Because uh, that's that's what chops is all about. Um, based on what you saw in that campaign, right? So uh, think different. Think different. Yeah. And and where things are now, Yeah, what uh, what do you think is the state of creativity in, in advertising and marketing now compared to 30 <sighs> years ago, 35 years ago?
1: Well, this is one of those questions that uh, whenever you ask an old person, they always say, it was better then, right? So there was a the creativity of think different and the Super Bowl commercial and, you know, and like, you know, what... What commercial? What campaign captures you like that? Can you think of one? I mean, is there one from like, I don't know, uh, you know? Did GoDaddy change the world using <laughs> Danica Patrick? I mean, I don't know what what does Frito Lay with their Super Bowl commercial? You know, like what? Can you think of anything that great? So, yeah, that's one attitude. But I, I kind of think that no, nostalgia is overrated. Um, I think it's a very different world because it's so much of it is about social media and targets and you know optimization of the use of Facebook and all that. It's not about I don't think it's not about the twenty million dollar Super Bowl commercial anymore mm-hmm. that you know one ad makes or breaks you. Uh, and I think that's a better world. Um, the one Super Bowl commercial that makes or breaks you—that's really roulette, mm-hmm. right? I mean that's. Whereas I, I love the concept of social media, A B testing, you know, using influencers, the whole marketing mix, I think is better.
0: Right.
1: Uh, certainly for an entrepreneur, this is a much better time in terms of marketing. Because in the old days, if you're a software company, you bought a $95,000 ad in the Wall Street Journal on Thursday and next to Walt Mossberg's column. You, you launched Lotus 123. Why would you buy a? You know, why would you buy a, an ad in the Wall Street Journal today for a software company? Uh, they're, they're, I think a very good example is a guy named Marquise Brownlee, okay, so he's a black kid, just got out of college. In college, he used to review devices, phones, you know, computers, all that, cameras. Now he's out of college, he has, I don't know, 35 million followers on YouTube. And he's the one saying, okay, here's the iPhone 11. I'm unboxing it. Just the pluses and the minus. Here's the Samsung, whatever. Here's, you know, here's the new Tesla. Here's the new Porsche Taycan. I mean, he does all that stuff. So if you can get him to review your product, that's better than any commercial. If you said to me, guy, you can either have marquees or an ad in the Wall Street Journal, I take marquees all day long. And I think that's the state. And I think that's good. Yeah. I think it's good. So, um, tell me a little bit about Canva. So, Canva is an online graphics design service based in Sydney, Australia, uh, it, it truly is good news. It enables people to create beautiful graphics, and truly everyone. Um, I like to tell people that you can create and finish a graphic in Canva faster than you can boot Photoshop. Hmm. And is that not true? It's very true. See? There you go. And I I, I don't know who this guy is, (laughs) but
0: but he he, doesn't work for camera. If this random guy says (laughs) it, then then it must be true.
1: (laughs) Uh, So, you know, for for your listenership, if they need to make a flyer, a poster, an Instagram post, a sixteen by nine presentation, and they've been struggling with PowerPoint or Photoshop, or maybe even more likely, you know, they're using an outside agency and they have to write up a. You know a description of the graphic, and then they have to submit it to the agency, and the agency comes back with four different designs, and you know you go back and forth, and four weeks later, you you know you have a one by one Instagram post uh, that changes all of that. Right. And it also, if you have in-house designers and you have to wait in line for them to do something, it changes all. It truly democratizes graphics.
0: So, but and as a result, it democratizes creativity.
1: Yes. Yeah. Which is a good thing, right? I mean. God forbid that you know only people who are professionally trained in graphics with the right tools could create graphics. That's right. So it strikes
0: a blow at the creative class. But that I think, as as you well, said, I think it's so a good thing.
1: You could at at some level you could say yes, it strikes a blow at the creative class. I would make the case that it liberates the creative class. I could also make the case that you know it's one thing to be have a tool to easily make graphics, but you still need a, an eye, right? Uh, we've we 've made it so that people without an eye can use our templates, but if I were truly a creative person who 's been using Photoshop, you could have one of two attitudes one is man i'm what i am i 'm going to stick with Photoshop, or you could say I can do what I do so much faster and easier and, ch- and cheaper, like holy moly, I can like create ten graphics a day instead of one mm-hmm. i got to try this thing you, you, you really
0: should uh, trust me yeah. okay well wow. um One more question before we go, tell me the story behind that watch. It looks... uh, This watch? Yeah, it looks well-loved. It's definitely spent some time in the water.
1: Uh, Yeah, this is a Breitling. um, I happen to just fall in love with Breitlings. They had a model called the Aerospace, which not only has this analog face, but it also has digital. So you could, you know, look at the second time zone. You could timer, chronometer, all this kind of stuff. This one is not that model. This is purely an analog watch and it's a complicated story so I I use this analog watch most of the time because I never have to worry about the battery Mm -hmm. because it's Mm -hmm. self-winding so that's the beauty of this Um, having said that when I'm surfing I use an Apple watch because the Apple watch has an app that tracks my rides (laughs) so I use the Apple watch just for surfing and I use this every other time and I also think that um, this kind of watch kind of makes a statement that you know i'm not just a tech weenie i you know i, I have i have a brightly i mean i have a you know well style
0: is important so uh don't worry folks i'm going to take a picture of it and i'll post that <laughs> online too so uh guy thanks very much this uh absolutely this is, my uh, pleasure been an absolutely, absolutely uh absolute pleasure to interview thank you um and i wonder before we sign off
1: if you could uh autograph oh, a course. copy of wise guy for of me course. How do you spell your name? S T E V E. Okay.
0: So this has been uh, the Tuesday Chops installment of uh, of MM and M's podcast series with Guy Kawasaki, recorded live in the Click Studios in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, far from the tubular so- waves <laughs> on the Jersey Shore. Uh-huh. But Guy will be back uh, back in the water. Off of tomorrow. Santa Cruz tomorrow tomorrow so. in less
1: than 24 hours guys thanks again <laughs> thank you <laughs>